episode 56. Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. Patty Krawick on deck. Author, writer, mom, wife. She's going to bridge the gap for us when it comes to finding your identity, finding your people. Her story is amazing. There are going to be pieces of indigenous teaching and spirituality here. Patty's going to share her story, her upbringing. We're both up here in Canada. I'm on Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, Alberta. Welcome, friends. Wherever you've found this podcast, please review it. Tell all your friends. This is a two-part episode. I split it into two episodes. You're going to enjoy both. The second half, we'll talk about Patty's book, Becoming Kin. But in this episode, we're going to jump right in and learn where Patty is, who are her people, and then roll from there. So I'm in Niagara, so um, between uh, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, you know, it's one dish territory. Um, so it's that one dish is a treaty that was made by between the Anishinaabe and uh, the Anishinaabe people and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And, you know, you don't make treaty with people that you get along with, right? You make treaty to resolve conflict. Um, you know, so yeah, so we're deep in uh, mixed Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee territory. There's a lot of argument over, you know, whose language the city of Toronto was named for and, mm. you know, and who did this and who did that. But at the, at the end of the day, we do, we do try to work together and, you know, and work cooperatively. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of where I'm living. I'm on the board of the Fort Erie Friendship Center. Um, uh, the friendship we have, actually have two friendship centers in this area because there are so many native people down here and I had no idea I grew up here um, my people um, on my father's side are uh, Ojibwe Anishinaabe uh, uh, from the north shore of Lake Superior and actually a little further north than that from um, all the little lakes mm. that are that, that dot northwestern Ontario so that's my father's people um and then my mom's people came, are refugees who came from, um, first they fled the Ukraine, then they fled Germany and they came here. So I was actually raised down here uh, by my maternal family and I had no idea. Hmm. I thought all the Indians were out West somewhere, like oh, living oh, in really? TVs or something. I had no idea. Yeah, like yeah, I grew yeah. up, I, wow. you know, I grew up in you know late sixties and seventies. There are two reserves within like an hour and a half. Hmm. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. There was a friendship center in the town I grew up in. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. My mom had been told that um, that it was very dangerous, that there were a lot of drugs there, which was not true, um, but a very racist way of thinking yeah. about Indigenous people. And so she thought she was protecting me hmm. by keeping me away from a place that she had been told was dangerous, yeah. which is very typical of how Canadians... I mean, this was kind of the tail end of the residential school era as well, right? So very typical way of thinking because that's what we're told, right? That's, you know, and so that's what I grew up thinking about Native people, that we were simultaneously, you know, these kind of mystical 
you know, forest dwelling nature nuts, you know, so on the one hand, there's this like ridiculously noble myth, but also you Mm. shouldn't drink because you're genetically predisposed to alcoholism, which is also not true. So I was, it was simultaneously this thing I could never possibly live up to, but also this thing that I needed to be careful about. You know, so it was it it was really odd. And I actually found my father's people um, in my mid 20s. Yeah. And then that kind of started the process of. So what does it mean to, you know, becoming kin was, you know, a book that I kind of wrote for myself, too. How do you how do I become a good relative to my relatives? Yeah. How do I build relationship with them? How do I you know, because they knew I existed. So they had wondered what had happened to me. I wondered what happened to them. So how do we put this together? How do we, you know, like, and, and they were raised kind of surrounded by each other in Northwestern Ontario and in Winnipeg, which, you know, is kind of frequently referred to as the urban res. Whereas I was raised with everybody knowing I was native, people having these expectations of me that I had no idea how to deliver. Hmm. You know, I had no idea how to be native, be Indian. I know I had no idea. And yet people expected it of me at school or in other places. Hmm. Um, you, they expected yeah, the and, impression of, you know, their impression. Of yeah, what exactly. Was. Exactly. They wanted me uh, to kind of perform Indian in this for them. And I knew as much about it, Indians as they did, like yeah. from watching Little House on the Prairie oh, and Bonanza. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. yeah. So that's, you know, kind of where I'm situated in one dish territory. Um, The Ojibwe, so the Anishinaabe are like a really big group, like we're huge. And so my father is Ojibwe Anishinaabe, and that would be Northwestern Ontario. This area down here is Michisagig Anishinaabe, the people, the river people. Similar, like the language and the basic cosmology are the same, Um, Mm. but there are some dialectical differences, um, you know, so we're not interchangeable. So I'm actually not even, even though I'm, Anishinaabe, I'm not really on my home territory. Mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, a guest, you know, and and, and so I, I think about that. I think about that. How do I be a good relative to the Michisagig Anishinaabe yeah. people on whose land this is? Yeah. How do I be a good relative to the Haudenosaunee people whose land this is? Because although I'm Anishinaabe, this isn't really my territory. My territory is much further north and west. That's the land that remembers me. So how do I be a good relative down here? And I, I'm on the board of a friendship center, so I have some authority. So how do I help the friendship center make decisions recognizing whose land we're on? It's, yeah. So, yeah, so these are all things that I think about, and, and it occurred to me recently that I kind of wrote my book for myself as well, to kind of figure out how do I be a good relative in all of these different ways that I exist. You're using the term good relative and i can imagine that growing up and then becoming more in tune with your people on your father's side in your 20s would have thrust you into a space of 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 um chaos or struggle as you're trying to make sense of who you are in your identity did you start with the idea of what it means to be a good relative? Because I think that's a, a very specific term you're using. Or was there a process 
there as you were learning more about your people that you knew nothing about, uh, where you started to get, um, where you started to shape and form around your other familial connections? Yeah, so it's like, you know, yeah, being a good relative, that's fairly new language that's, you know, kind of getting a lot of currency and, you know, people thinking about it that way. It was more about who are my cousins? Hmm. Who are my mm-hmm. cousins? I want to meet my grandma. I don't remember her, you, you know, my my nokomists. I don't, I have pictures of myself with her, but I haven't seen her since I was a year and a half old. Hmm. What about these cousins that are in these photographs? You know, what about my dad? You, you know, my, my father, like, how do I, because we're strangers, yeah. right? We don't have all of those shared, you know, we don't have all those shared memories that help you get, get through these struggles. Hmm. Right. So all, you know, so I actually, I wrote a piece um, for Canadian living. That was actually my very first piece of writing uh, because my father had taken me to a powwow and I'd never been to a powwow before. And so he took me to a powwow, um, yeah, to Nipissing First Nation outside of North Bay. And so I wrote about that. And I wrote about how that felt and kind of hanging out. He had brought me there for a sunrise ceremony and then went back home um, because sunrise happens early in the summer. Um, and so then he went back home to sleep. And I said, well, I'll just stay and hang out and just kind of meet people and, and talk to people. And I did. I just kind of hung out and drank coffee with people and watched them get their stuff ready because people camp, right? People camp. Um at these things and so that's what I did and so I was thinking in terms of what are my expectations of what it means to be native mm-hmm. not those outside expectations yeah. that other people have and what are other native people's expectations of me mm. what assumptions are they making about me or things are they expecting from me and I always found I always found myself very welcome mm-hmm whatever native community um, I, you know, I've been to, I've always felt welcome, which I know isn't everyone's experience. I mean, I have, I have friends who have gone home after being scooped by child welfare, you know, they go home decades later and they're not, they don't experience that welcome Hmm. because they're too different. Hmm. So I know that that's not a universal feeling. Um, but that was my experience. Uh, people were just very gracious. And I started hanging out at the Friendship Center in Toronto. Um, but then when we moved back down to Niagara Falls, because we were living up in Brampton at the time, I didn't know there was a Friendship Center down here. Remember? Because mm. I grew up, right? Mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. didn't know that there was one. It wasn't actually until I started working for child welfare mm. that I found the Native community in the Niagara region. And isn't that... Mm. a terrible thing that's and that i had to start working for child welfare and that's where i met all the native people i want to stick with uh (laughs) we're just kind of like digging into identity here in your story um what was it i won't say not what was it like but how did you balance the tension of your formation growing up uh, on your mom's side and what we would just say a normal Canadian life up until your 20s uh, and to hold that intention now with the other half of you not to now be careful how I say this because when we start to use fract when we fraction off our identities I think that's a product of white supremacy but the other whole part of you 
when they collided, what was that tension like and how did you begin to make sense of it? Well, I think like, there was a lot of emotional chaos, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm deal because I'm I'm reconnecting with a father who had been absent, and he had his own reasons, and my mom had her own reasons. And the piece that I wrote for Canadian Living um, annoyed both of them. <laughs> so, they both felt that I mean they were proud of it, but also they felt that I had gotten their side of it wrong. You know, their uh-huh. reasons wrong because oh, uh, you know. So I feel like I must have come somewhat close to the. Yeah, truth yeah, yeah. You told yours story, so yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I had like I had always known like I was the brown kid in the white family. Yeah. So for me, finding my father, finding my paternal mm-hmm. relatives was a relief. You always knew. Because I, I always knew, and like yeah. I said, people would have these expectations of me. Yeah, yeah. Do you speak mm. Indian? What's it like? You know, can you talk yeah. to the animals? Like that kind of like yeah. that kind of nonsense. And then they would ask me, uh, you know, what part Indian are you? What part? What part? Yeah, like that yeah, was, yeah. you know, what part? And so I would, you know, because I was a kid and kids are idiots, I would say things like, you know, my heart and my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always felt because it was something that other people always told me I was. So I always felt native felt mm-hmm. different. Um, you were other very well loved by my family. I'm clear mm-hmm. about that in the book that it wasn't that they didn't love me. I was just different. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding my place in the native community after finding my dad was a relief because now here is a room full of people like me. Here is a room full of people who look like me. Here is a room full of people with whom I share disconnection Mm, because my story isn't that unusual, right? I mean, child Mm. welfare, it's called the 60 scoop for a reason because so many of us were uprooted from from our families and raised in white families and, and came back in Canada, came back to friendship centers. You know, and in the U.S., I think they have a lot of urban Indian centers that are similar. You know, so even that disconnection was something that we shared. Mm. And so for me, it was a relief to be in those spaces, you know, to be, you know, to be in the women's circle and and to be talking about those things. It was, it, that part wasn't the chaos. That part was the relief. Um, But it's like the emotional chaos of of just reconnecting with a parent that, you know, you have been told one thing about, and some of it's true and some of it's not. And, but watching my kids have a better relationship with him hmm. was really good. Watching my kids grow up more aware of not just the fact of their internal identity, but their community connections yeah, yeah. has been really good. Uh, that's and knowing that my grandson is being raised with, you know, like two generations away from that traumatic yeah. disconnection. Yeah. Like to me, that's, that's, that's just amazing. It's reclamation. It's just, like, that's just, that's reclamation unto restoration. That's a beautiful yeah. tale. Yeah, it is. It is a beautiful story. It's wild that no matter how hard it's wild, as in, um, I shouldn't say it's wild because it's not. It's to be expected that no matter how hard you might try to assimilate within the life that you knew for the first quarter of it, was never going to work and you were never going to find that relief as you said of being the brown kid in the all-white communities 
yet you found that and, and your story as you alluded to earlier is will be different than others but you found that relief of belonging when you were with your dad's side with your other people do you other yeah. like that uh do you say the other people do you how do you i find that some a work i need to work out of uh in terms of no longer othering or fractioning or um compartmentalizing my people well because we live in all kinds of different ways right like i was raised evangelical christian right mm -hmm. like james dobson i subscribed to his magazine you know as a young as a young mother um you know charles yeah. chuck colson um i don't know if you watch Dang. thief in the night periodically i watch thief in the night just you were in the thick it. of it yeah yeah just yeah oh yeah i was like right <laughs> in the belly of the beast um <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, and so that's the piece that I'm still unpicking out of my brain, mm -hmm. you know, still kind of unpicking, you know, kind of that, that early training out of my brain. And that's also something that's very common in native communities because the missionaries came in and did a real number on us. And so you'll find a lot of very conservative, yeah. very evangelical Pentecostal communities um, mm -hmm. that are very unhealthy. Any folks who have been pressed to the margins by this colonizing force when they adopt this story of that power, that malformed power, I like that. Yeah, I have a hurt for those folks because and, and for any folks, not just for indigenous folks, but for those who have yet to discover their liberation it, it um maybe i just don't have a word for it but to see the uh, community in operation within the boundaries of malformed power systems uh, marginalized communities doing that that's hard for me to watch i usually take the easy way out and just ignore dissociate myself from all these from all these things and go do you know my own thing but it's hard it's hard yeah to... well when you think about how when you think about how devastated our communities were right like politically devastated you know with you know with the legacies uh, of slavery and forced move you know all the different ways uh, uh, that we were forced to move um you know academic you know epidemics you know the viruses that raged through the communities and kind of and, and devastated us, you know, all of those different mm. things. And so our communities get thrown into this chaos. And then the missionaries come in because, you know, we've lost elders, we've lost relationship, mm. we've lost all of those things. And, you know, and then the missionaries come in and they give us answers. This is why things are so unstable and they offer a promise of, of stability. And so, of course, drowning people are going to grab it because they no longer have what whatever traditional teachings they had that could have grounded them mm. are no longer available to them. And so that's early, early in my book. Um, I talk about the importance of picking up our bundles. All of us, all of us have bundles yes. to pick up. Yes. Not just like, yeah. I know that's very indigenous language. Yeah. I love um, that. 
but all of us have bundles we need to pick up and teachings that we need to ground ourselves in. And, you know, and for me, mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm, a really mm-hmm. big piece of the work that I need to do, um, you know, the work that other people need to do. And that's, you know, kind of the early tasks in the book. It, I really want people to look at what do you need to pick up and connect with from your own from your own histories, from your own past, from your own, you know, what has been taken from you that you can pick back up again to help us move forward in a way that isn't these malformed power structures. I loved that metaphor. Um, That was a powerful chapter in the book that you carried. Um, And it actually spurred an idea Maybe a book, I don't know. My response to that, what your bundle is, is to yeah. find your people. Find your people. Um, learn from your people. Learn from your ancestors. Uh, I think that's a powerful step in determining or discovering who you are, but also how you shape and form going forward, um, especially if it's outside of a white hegemonic gaze. But... So here's here's the curveball when we when we bring it closer to our current context on land is the fact many people, including white folks, maybe especially white folks, no longer have a connection to their people. They couldn't tell you. Uh, It could be through nefarious efforts, um, either genocide or slavery being extricated from your lands or domestic servitude as it is in my uh, case or you could be the European settlers colonizers who came through and part of the deal was you gave up who your people are or the memory of in exchange for the modicum of power reserved in whiteness just take on the whiteness, but then you lose your people. So now what? Where do you, and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here as we sort of uh, uh, think out loud <laughs> on bundles, but where do you go from there? What if you don't have your people? Well, I think to, to some extent, the people, your people are the ones that are around you. I mean, there's a, there's a task in the book mm-hmm. um, where I ask people to create a family tree because every chapter ends with a task. Um, that was Valerie's idea. She says white people like to be told what to do, <laughs> to know what to do with this. So I'm like, okay, but I liked it because it was a way of making <laughs> making the text, you, you know, op- yeah, operationalizing yeah. it. If I'm going to use social work language, you know, a way of making it something that you can do in your life. And so I asked people to create a family tree, and then to look at history yeah. alongside that family tree. What was happening for your family? What was happening for Indigenous people? at that time, what was happening for black people at that time? Who were the migrants that were coming in, you know, and grandparents, great grandparents, and mm-hmm. people can, you know, people can usually do that. They can create a family tree. Um, Alexis Shotwell calls it roots and roots. So the roots of our family, as well as the roots that they took. Hmm. How did they get here to Canada? Like when we ask white people where they're from, they'll say, oh, I'm from Hamilton. Okay, but before that. Yeah, yeah. And if you even you knew. From? Like, oh, maybe Where Ireland. Where are you from? Yeah, the Ireland. Okay. Think about how your people got here because you're here. So you're not Irish. 
because Ireland continued on without you. You know, Spain continued on without you. Germany carried on without you. So your family came here. So how do you, so then how do you root yourself here in a good way? Hmm. Mm. How do you build relationship in this place? And there's, oh. so, so I'm rereading this book uh, by Monica Byrne called The Actual Star. It's, it's a, a fiction. It's set in the past, present, and future. So Mayan civilization, present time also in Belize, and then a future that ends in Belize. And so these three stories kind of converge. But there's a practice that the woman in the final, like in, in the future, where what she does is she walks around the land and asks it if it knows her. Do you know me? Do you know me? Because she's looking for evidence of past lives. Do you know me? Do you know me? I just thought, because I had that experience when I went home, and I didn't, I write about this in the book, where I, I wasn't expecting it, because I'm like the least mystical Indian you'll ever know. So it's not like I went home looking for some kind of mystical experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting yeah, yeah. that. Um, but I talk about this in the book, that I put my hands in the water and I felt remembered. Hmm. And it was, it's really hard to describe. In the book, I say it kind of felt electric, but that's not even really correct. That was just kind of the best I could do. I felt remembered. Mm -hmm. And it was unsettling, um, but also amazing. And I think if, if the land is alive, because that's also like an in indigenous cosmology, not just indigenous, I think you could argue that um, the Hebrew... Um, you know, the ancient Hebrews understood the world that way as well. Um, a lot of land-based, you know, yeah. people who haven't yet been disconnected from their land understand that the land and the animals and the plants and all these things are alive in um, very particular ways. You know, so if it is, then we can be in that kind of relationship with it. So if people are looking to find their people, their people are the people that are around them. We all have family histories and family traditions. Mm -hmm. So we can think about those things, but then we can also ask the land to know us mm. and to remember us. Like if your family has been here for three or four generations, then the land knows you. Mm. And maybe it heard stories about you. We think of the ocean as this big barrier, but if the land and the water are alive, then is it really a barrier? Hmm. Aren't they talking to each other hmm. and sharing stories about you and your island people? <laughs> hmm. you, you know, you, you know, doesn't the water tell the land that it laps up on stories about your Caribbean people? And then those stories kind of get carried north to where you are. Hmm. And so then the land knows something about you because <laughs> we know now that trees communicate through those mycelium networks that, you know, my kid goes on. He's a tree nerd. And then he goes on and on about. So we know that that's a thing that trees, maybe they're talking about us. Who knows? I don't know. Hmm. I don't need to know everything. I'm okay with not knowing everything. And But I think that that's a really kind of an, a neat practice, an interesting way of thinking. So maybe as people are walking around outside, they could think about that. Like, what do you know about me? What have you heard about me? <laughs> yeah, that's a, a, a posture to approach land through the lens of relationship and reciprocal relationship. Um, do you find that there needs to be invitation to do so, to, dis to 
ascend or descend into that type of reorientation to the land? I ask that question because I, th- I think it would be easy for us, especially for you know Westerners, to be like, well, I will just invite myself to uh, know the land and and through a Western imperialist lens, you know. Well, and that's where I thought that this this practice that Monica Byrne writes about, and, and I mean, and it's fiction. I don't know that it's a practice that anybody actually really does, but she imagined it. And the character is just asking the land if it rem- if it knew her. Do you know me? And I mm. think that's that's a respectful way to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know me. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know me. Mm-hmm. Because often she gets no, or she just gets blankness. She gets nothing. But it's that willingness to hear no. And that's like in Canada, you know, we have, you know, the duty to consult Indigenous communities, but we don't have the right to say no. Mm. So if the government wants to, (laughs) you know, dig up diamonds or build a pipeline or chop down the trees or whatever it wants to do, it will talk to the community and get input. But the community doesn't have the right to say no. Yes. So what kind of consultation is that? That's ridiculous. The posture. If you're going to ask yeah. people, if you're going to ask the land if it remembers you, if you're going to knock on somebody's door, hmm. you, you know, you have to be willing to hear no hmm. or not right now, you know, or, you know, you have to be willing to hear that. Like you wouldn't go into somebody's backyard and just set up a barbecue. Yeah. So the, the posture does matter. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad we went down that, that trail. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part episode. Part two up next, where we will spend more time discussing Patty's book, Becoming Ken. Please rate and review this podcast, share it with others, and we'll catch you in episode 57.